Don't you love music from weddings? It's great. It brings back memories. Whatever happened to the old wedding singer? Where they used to always sing for weddings and we always had this great music. I mean, this brings back memories. Isn't it a good feeling that you get through a wedding? I'm just going to take you on a journey of some songs that we've all heard through our wedding years. Listen closely. You all think I'm going to start breaking it Did you ever know that you're oh, Didn't it just do something soft for you? What a great memory. Rides coming in, everybody's crying. Now we know why they actually stopped some of these songs, didn't they? I knew you'd enjoy it, so I just thought I'd take you back in some time here. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone that you adore can love. Okay, here we go. that together we can And when the strong winds blow, it won't fall. That voice sounds familiar, doesn't it? Thank you, Luke. <laughs> but think about it. Isn't this bringing back some great memories? We are a household of faith. You thought I was done, didn't you? Some say love. What's wrong with laughing in the church? Praise the Lord, we could do that. I know, I'll, I'll stop while I'm ahead. I'm almost done here. I just wanted to take you on this little journey of, of what weddings do and the emotions that you actually get through weddings. Here's a good one. Ready? That brings you right back to the 70s, doesn't it? Come on. You know it does. Sing it with me. Ready? Oh, there's love. See, church? Some of you going, Oh, there's love. See, I love that song. You're all thinking, is this really February? And we're getting ready to wind it down because we can't forget this song. <laughs> going to the chapel and we're 
Okay, if we're going to sing, we got to do it together. Ready? All right, we good? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now to the serious part of what we're actually doing today. I, you know, as I was thinking about preaching on the wedding in Cana, I thought, what is the mood going to be? What are people going to say as they walk in and they see tooling and, and the aisle runner? It does give you an element of newness and of excitement. People love marriages. People love the act of, of getting married, that covenant between man and woman and God. And so, you know, I just thought I'd take you back through that journey of life because truly it should be a day of celebration. But I think for the whole story, when we look at just how moving the wedding was at Cana, that it was a time where we can look at and look back on what really Jesus Christ started to do in his walk of life. John gives convincing evidence of the deity of Jesus and proves him to be the what? The God-man. Jesus is shown in all the majesty of his place in the Godhead. And we noticed, if you will please, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That's John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 2 gives us two snapshots from the life of Jesus. First of all, he is shown at a wedding, and then in the latter parts of the verse, we notice that he is shown at the house of worship. The latter scene, Jesus exerted his authority as the Son of God to do what? We saw it in the video, to cleanse the filth from his Father's house. By the way, God has not changed his mind. Listen closely. His house is still to be the house of prayer, of praise, and of worship. Many in our day have tried to make God's house a place of merchandise, a place of power, a place of politics. And Jesus stands opposed to such practices. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I want the church to say with me a great big amen. This place is a place of prayer, praise, and worship. Amen. amen. And it should be. This morning I did not come to preach about the scene at the temple, but I want to bring your attention to, but rather, the scene at the wedding. And this little snapshot of the ministry of Jesus Christ, he is seen in all of his humanity. The picture of Jesus who is concerned with and gets involved in the problems and the situations of the ordinary, of the everyday life. In this passage, we encounter Christ who cares and who can and one who carries through for his own. So I'm just going to drop just a little bit of this portrait of Jesus through the scene here in Cana. And uh, let's go ahead and read together in John chapter 2. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And I just, every time, it actually moves me even when I read that. Because... The hour has come. We've heard that latter part later on in the scriptures as that's the correlation to the crucifixion. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Now, let's just stop for just a minute. I'm trying not to get ahead of my message. But here are disciples. He has six of them with him. And Mary knows who he is. Remember, it was the virgin birth, right? 
And so Mary looks at the disciples and says what to them? You do whatever he tells you to do. You need to listen. How many this morning might be saying, well, you know what, I've, I've seen some areas in my loved one's life where it's, it's wavering. But did you ever think that maybe they need you to be the strong one? I think right then she was trying to say to them, show them, show them who you are, Jesus. And he says, listen, my time has not come. I'm going to teach them and let them know who the Messiah is, but it will all come when it's supposed to. So what she said, okay, she turns around and, and I'll explain a little bit about why he said it the way he did it because it wasn't in a, dis, a disrespectful connotation. He was really respecting his mother. But she turns around and says, listen, do whatever he tells you to do. And so we continue to read in the scriptures in verse 6, and there were, were set there six water pots of stone. After the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And what I want to show you is a firkin was about nine gallons. So each pot held about 18 to 27 gallons. The total capacity was anywhere between 108 to 162 gallons. Now I want to tell you something. I have never had wine before in my life and I forgot my wine glasses. I don't, we, I, I looked at her. My wife and I said, we don't have any wine glasses. We have these flute things I think we got for, for a gift years ago, Princess House or something. And I said, okay, I'll use those and fill them up. I said, never have I ever referenced wine in any one of my messages. I've never had any type of liquor in my whole life. I've never had uh, beer, wine, any alcoholic drink. But yet when I look in here, even the Pharisees started calling Jesus a wine bibber. Because of what he did. And so I just have to say in a comical humorous kind of way. That was an awful lot of wine they were drinking there. Wouldn't you say? That's a lot of gallons of wine that was going down in that wedding party. However. There even some say that it wasn't fermented. Remember he just made it. And the only way wine can be of strong drink is if it ferments and lasts for a long period of time. Am I correct in saying that? Is that how it works? Look, nobody's going, I ain't saying anything. He's going to think I drink it. <laughs> He's saying a word. Okay, that's how it works. I think that's how it goes down. But anyhow, uh, I'll continue to read here. So, verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew... The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And that actually is the master, the one that was heading up the party. And said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men well, have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles to Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And it says, after that, they left and went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there for many days. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be encouraged through your miracles. Father, help us to realize that you're, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You're always there. And Lord, we welcome you again, your presence here. Father, hide me behind the cross. Lord, let your words come forth. May they not come back void, but, Father, may they prosper. Teach us and mold us and make us to be more like you. Lord, we thank you again for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Three things I'm going to look at. One, Christ's participation in the events of his life. Two, Christ's power in the events of his life. And then three, we will look at uh, the questions that people suffer and they go through, but Christ's provisions in the events of his life. Here are the circumstances. A wedding, always huge. It's a great social event. Everybody loves to spend tons of money. It takes a year. That's why a lot of times when you become engaged uh, and you go through that courtship, it's one year because we realize that it takes a lot of money and time. In the Jewish religion, a lot of times they will, their betrothal would actually take place for one year. And so that's a huge celebration that's going on and on and on. And um, then they, they celebrate the life together. We're not told who is getting married, if you'll notice in the scriptures here. But it's probably, and I'm guessing, close kinsmen to Jesus because Mary was there. And you'll notice in verses 1, 3, and I believe 5, it references his mother being there. And then she walks up and says, we have an issue about the wine. So my thought is she was actually, in today's terms, she's the wedding planner. And so, uh, and even though the master was there and he made a toast, uh, I believe that that was her involvement in it. If the scene teaches us anything this morning... It tells us that Jesus chose to participate in this common, routine, everyday event. Listen, church, Jesus isn't just for Sunday. He desires and deserves to be included in all of our lives. And I know that we'll stand at the altar, we, you know, and I have to tell you, people will come right up here, and I'll be standing before them. I say the covenant is between man, woman, and God. They say yes, they understand it, we pray, they, they make their commitment to one another, and then I never see them ever again. I don't think that we've taken marriage seriously. I do believe that we need to come back to a place where we realize that God wants to not just be a part of the ceremony that day. Because how many of you have noticed, you have the wedding ceremony, there's 50 people, but you go to the reception, there's 250 people. Have you, have you seen that? I have too. What has happened with even our Christian homes by saying, let's encourage the covenant, the vows that are being spoken. If Jesus Christ is there that day, He'll be there the rest of your life. He wants to go through this journey with you, if you'll let Him. We often will say, well, I understand it's just what my parents did and my mom expects this from me, my dad. Well, I wish people would take the seriousness of it. And I've seen people come into my office and spend six weeks of premarital counseling and understand, and I've seen people that never even were unequally yoked. They didn't even know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, accepted Christ. And then I've seen events in their life change where they've grown. That's what I, I love and I really respect within them. But how sad it is that, that oftentimes we don't. You see here, he is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all in your life. I want to make sure that, that, that the Lord is Lord of all in everything that you do. It's hard. Listen, I walk the same path you walk. I drive down the same road you drive down. But one thing we have to learn is that we've got to, we've got to reprioritize. And I hope in 2014 that you can stop and reflect and say, I'm going to make God my number one priority. Don't make him just where you left him at the altar that day you took a vow. Man, 
Let's, let's see the miracles He wants to perform in your life and to reveal Himself in your life. Then we notice the call. Jesus was there by invitation. We'll see in the Scripture, someone possessed the forethought and thoughtfulness to call Jesus to this event. Never be guilty of attempting to exclude Jesus from any areas of your life. By virtue of His sacrifice for us on Calvary, He deserves inclusion in all we are and in all we do. I want you, if you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. I want you to see that we are bought with a price, that we're not our own. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, man, He wants to do something great in your life. You have to realize that there's power Wonder-working power in the blood and in through, through the Lord. What's it say in verse 19? It says this, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you are what? Bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If we are truly His, then He has access rights to everything that we have and who we are. Some here today need to open up the areas of your life and you need to open them up to God. You need to allow God to be a part of that. You need to stop holding back and give God access to everything. Too many lives Jesus has left standing outside. We know the scripture verse in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says what? I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open it, he'll open it. We can't leave him standing outside. And we need to make him a part of our life, our everyday life. There are times when Jesus stands ready with a solution to your problem. But instead of butting in, he waits patiently for your invitation. Why not make that happen today? Then we also notice Christ's consideration here. Notice that when he was called, Jesus came. In all the events of life, the child of God need never fear Jesus not coming to your aid. He cares, and when we call, he will answer us and move in our need. I love what it also says in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. It says, call on me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. I love what the old hymn says. Not L-O-V-E, or going to the chapel. But here's the hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear when we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Mary went to him and she saw that. So we move forward. I want you to turn back, if you would, please, to John chapter 2. And we're going to see in verse 3, it says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, They have no wine. Here's the problem. Sometimes during the festivities, they ran out of wine. This doesn't sound like much of a problem to us, but to the Jews, it could be ruinous. First, it was a matter of honor. The bridegroom was responsible for providing adequate supplies. If something ran out before the party was concluded, it simply meant that he hadn't planned well and hadn't provided for all of his guests. Secondly, to run out of wine would cause public embarrassment for the groom and his family. Thirdly, in some instances, the offending family could even be fined. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, this was a problem of considerable size to these people. I know that when Becky and I were even planning our, our wedding, that was just a couple weeks ago, 260 months ago. Did I get it right this time? 
260 months? Okay, okay. We were trying to add up months thanks to Bob and Pam. They were telling us how many months they were together. So Becky grabbed her calculator and she says, I want to see how many months have we been together? That's 21 years. Anyhow, I remember we ran out of food. Isn't that a nightmare? I hate that. My wife, one of the things she's always said, even in our homes, how many of you hate if you don't have enough food to feed the people at the table? So you make an overabundance. We always have an overabundance of food at the tack at home when it comes to dinner because Becky's always afraid we're going to run out. And I noticed here just the problem there was. But we have to realize sometimes life doesn't always go as we have it planned, does it? There are times when problems arise and troubles come our way. You see, this was a common thing. For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. It's found in Ecclesiastics. It is good to know that when our problems do come and we can take them to Jesus, he's there to help us. Those all around us may see them as nothing, but Jesus understands our pain and he feels our need. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. He knows what you're going through. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. And sometimes our ways and our thoughts are not his ways and his thoughts. He understands what you're going through today. Aren't you thankful for that? I know even in some hardship, listen, the Christian life is an easy church. And I know there's so many principles. Matter of fact, I could have stopped preaching a long time ago and just went three, three points and been done. But there's so much truth. I said, how do you preach on such a simple message, but it has so much thought to it? So it's a miracle. But there's always that backdrop to everything that Jesus is trying to teach in our life. He wants us to be real. Life isn't easy. It says in verses 4 through 5, Jesus said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Then she turned around and spoke. Here was the procedure. In this time of trouble, Mary shows us just what we need to do when troubles arise in our lives. She gives us two steps that we should always take in the troublesome times of life. One, she's trying to teach, flee to Jesus. Listen, when a problem arises, she didn't say, okay, the guy's in the back kitchen, you need to run down to Acme or Giant Eagle, go to the wine department, grab a bunch of bottles, bring them back here. Let me fix it. Now, here's what she said. She said, let me go talk to Jesus. So she ran to him. And this is exactly what we need to do in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we talked about it this morning in discipleship class, Bring your request to God. He's there for you. Christ's response to Mary in verse 4 may seem a little cruel and cold. And uh, I don't think my wife would always appreciate it if I kept calling her woman. But he said it in Scripture. And I'm not giving you guys you know, free reign to just look at your wife and go, woman. But listen closely. At first, because I did think that, I thought, that's kind of, wow, that was pretty harsh and disrespectful. Yet the term woman was a polite and common form of address. 
Jesus is simply reminding Mary that he has a greater agenda to fulfill that hers or that of the rest of the wedding party. Love what it says in Luke. The Bible tells us that Jesus was subject unto them, referring to Mary and Joseph. And now he is reminding his mother that it is time for him to begin to fulfill the Father's will. I'm going to show you something. Look at verse 51. It says, and he said unto them, go back to verse chapter 1, verse 51. It says, verily I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon of the, what? The... Now, if I were to take you back to Acts, chapter 7, verse 56, Stephen was stoned. And when he looked up in heaven, what did he see? Who did he see sitting at the right hand? Right? But he was also referred to as the son of man. Pondering thought, isn't it? Now I want you to turn, if you would please, to Luke, as we read this. Luke, chapter 2, verses 49. Luke, chapter 2, verses 49 through 52. He says, And he said unto them, how is it that you stopped me? Now remember, he's a little boy. He's in the temple. And here's Mary and Joseph. They're looking for him. And here's what he says. How is it that you stopped me? Wished you, know, you didn't know where I was at. You knew I would be about my father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings into her. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God... And man. So what we learn here is this, that he was not only subject to God and he was teaching them even as a young boy. You listen to me, teenagers? Even as young people, you can also be subject unto God. Honor your parents, but be subject under God. And so we see in the scriptures here, Jesus was trying to convince mom and others that he possesses the divine nature of his father, but also the human nature of of his mother. And so he's correlating between the two. Perhaps Mary was crying out for help as well. For 30 years, Mary had been accused of being, at best, the mother of this bastard child, of a Roman soldier because of rape. At worst, she's been accused of being guilty of fornication or even adultery. Maybe that Mary was asking Jesus to clear her name, to show them that he is who she has always known him to be isn't that amazing son i know who you are how many of in this room would say i know who they are in jesus christ i know the relationship that they have i've seen it in their life i see by the way they walk by the way they talk god is real they possess jesus christ as lord and savior so many wouldn't know. They don't know anything about you. They don't know what you possess. But I love that Mary knew who he was and who he is. Whatever is on display here, the fact remains that when confronted with a problem, Mary ran to Jesus. And what a good example for us to follow. We also notice here, follow his commands. The only command ever issued by Mary in all of the Bible, for those who feel that Mary is to be reverenced, adored, worshipped, and obeyed, this is excellent advice. And here's what she said, do what Jesus says to do. Isn't that what she said? So she looked at the disciples and says, unto you do it. Do whatever he says, just do it. 
The lesson for us is clear. When problems arise and troubles toss to and fro in our lives, the best thing we can do is simply to do what Jesus says to do. And here's what he says to do. He says, one, come to me. All ye that are heavy. All ye that carry big burdens in your life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, and First Peter, cast your cares on him. For why? He what? He cares for you. Wow. We don't even believe it, do we? Trust him. Romans 8, 28. And then last Acts 16, 31. Believe on him for salvation. Have faith. Have trust. Let God do a great work in and through your life. So then we notice his performance in verses 6 through 9. And he goes through the water pots. He goes through. They fill the water. He performs a miracle. But we see the context. Jesus took the commonplace. And what did he do? It was something common, but he made it extraordinary. He can change any situation if he is given the opportunity to do so. Will you let him change your current situation this morning? You've come to church and listen to me when I'm talking to you this morning closely. You've come here because you have burdens. And in those burdens, maybe they're spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, financial. I don't know what they are. But you know what he wants to do? He wants you to rely on him to take care of those things. But you can't do it if you're proud. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. God wants to change you. Man, he wants to mold you to make you. You've been made in his image. He knew you. You were fashioned in the womb. He knows exactly that little person that Hillary and Chris are about to have. It'll be rough for you <laughs> that Hillary's actually going to birth. But, you know, they're going to have together. But reality is this. He formed that precious little baby. And he's given all of us a responsibility to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. We notice here a few things. It was unconventional. It was uncommon. And in a lot of ways, it was unbelievable. Water to wine. Jesus won't always run on your track. He will move in your situation, but he may not do it your ways. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Three young boys thrown into the fiery furnace. They could have went in and they could have pleaded and begged and, and said, Lord, help us before we get in there. But isn't it funny how we all go through fire? But man, it, it hurts and it burns and it's a rough time. But what happened? They looked in that fiery furnace and who did they see? Yes, they saw the Spirit of the Lord. Because they cried out, they believed, they had faith. And most of us, in our times of need, we don't even cry out. But God has His angels. God has His Spirit there to help you and to see you through. He's always there to deliver us. Maybe in some ways you say, this is unconventional. I, I, I can't really see something like this taking place in my life. Well, I've seen great miracles in my life. You'll never see a miracle if you don't ever believe it. You need to understand the power of Almighty God. So we see in verse 10, the latter part, it says this. Then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. It says the governor of the feast is surprised at the quality of this new wine. 
It was an uncommon thing. Just because God did something one way back then, that doesn't mean that he will do it the same way in the here and now. What I'm trying to say this morning is don't try to squeeze God into your little box. He simply will not fit. I want a church, and I want people in our congregation to run and to shout and to be excited about what God's doing in and through your life. It's no mistake what you're going through. Yeah, you've made some mistakes. We're all sinners saved by grace. But now you've got to come to a place where you need to get on your knees and cry out to God and ask Him for guidance and for deliverance and for, for protection and for a miracle in your life. Many may question why so-called good people suffer. There's no good answer. The blind man said with the clay, Listen, you're not going to put that dirt on my eyes. That's going to be painful. Rocks and stone and everything else. No, he had faith. He believed in Jesus. He saw the miracle and literally saw it after he washed his eyes from that dirt. He needed it. And this can be done just as easily for you if you'll let him. And then some say, wow, this was unbelievable. The governor didn't know it, but the servants did. When you have carried the water and felt its weight, and then God moves in and changes it, from some ordinary common event to something that proves to be a blessing in your life, you will never, ever, ever, ever get over it. How many have seen the hand of God in your life? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I have to say, as a young man, I remembered, and for some, this might be alarming, that I remember as a little boy... um, Noticing the Lord speaking to me and moving. I accepted Jesus Christ when I was nine. I was baptized at 13, surrendered to preach at 15. And I remember even in our young married life, I would write down on a piece of paper and tell Becky who was going to the altar. I would show Tracy. I'd say, yeah, these people are going to the altar today. They'd say, are you serious? I said, yeah. These just thought came to my mind. Is that the power of God? And every one of them would move. That's not my power. I, I didn't know. I just I would write them down and I would share it with my wife and my sister because I would see this over and over again. Discernment is there. The power of God is real. Amen. You know, when dad was dying of cancer, my prayer was this. My dad didn't walk a holy, righteous life, owned a bar, did a lot of uh, uncorrupted, sinful things in his life. But here was my prayer. I said, God, would you just show me that you're real? Show me, God. This was five years ago. I said, you know, I've served you. I've been faithful. And I don't want Dad to suffer of cancer. And I'll never forget that day when the Holy Spirit ushered in. And he spoke to me and he said, go get your siblings. Your dad's going to go now. Now, I could have sat back and I was sitting in a chair eating this baked potato that ended up tasting like cotton. Because I was, Chris and Amber had brought it over. Delicious meal. And But all of a sudden, it was like the room got somewhat dark, and the potato just got real dry and gritty. It's probably because whatever I was going through. But I'll never forget hearing that voice as real as I'm standing here today. He said, say goodbye to your dad. He's going to go. And I reached up and kissed him on the head, and I said, I love you, Dad. And as soon as I sat down, I heard this, bam, right in my head. I didn't tell you. To say, I love you. Your dad's going to go get your siblings. And do you know we were able to have the great privilege 
to do what? Join our hands around him, pray, and as soon as I said amen, he gave up the ghost and died. We didn't. I thought he had a lot more time. I mean, he was breathing fine. We felt the usher of the Holy Spirit. And nobody can ever tell me, well, that's just coincidental. No, it's not coincidental. I believe in the power of God. And I really do believe, the Bible says if we have faith as the seed of what? A grain, a grain of mustard seed, we can move a mountain. That's right. Wow. What a, what a convicting thought in our life. Listen, God is the one that performs miracles. Just because maybe throughout my life I've been moved by the Holy Spirit. I love what Brother Steve said in class today. You can't have a relationship with Jesus Christ if you're not on your knees and if you don't have a prayer closet speaking to Him. Listen, I want a church full of prayer warriors. And when people are going through hardship... They know that they can come to you. They can say, listen, I need prayer in my life. And I know, okay, so we turned water into wine. It's, it's the wedding of Cana. It's just a simple little message. Really, Pastor? No, what I really want you to see is I want you to see the power of God through a miracle. You know, we have, in our life, I think all of us have lacked in trusting God. And... I I can actually say, too, I'm guilty. We can all say that we're all guilty in trusting Him. But trust comes right when the Holy Spirit starts to convict you, and then you end up moving. You accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, I remember hearing Brother Bill Snowden, and that was our pastor. And I say it like this, because this is my children, nieces, my siblings, my sisters that are up here, brother-in-laws. And by the way, did you all get a chance to congratulate Ron and Tracy? They got married New Year's Eve. So I could say brother-in-law is plural now, right? So praise the Lord. But, uh, but you know, through that, I, I just have to say that the, the miracles that we see are, are huge. If I'm nine years old, I hear him preach a message, I go home, and I look at my mom and I said, I want to know Jesus Christ. And I don't know how politically correct I said this, but here's what I said. I want to ask Jesus into my heart and my life. How do you get to heaven, Mom? Because I heard, now listen, This will shock all of you, but it's true. We used to have to sit in service even when I was five years old. You remember those days? Now people come and go, really? My 15-year-old needs to sit in the the sanctuary? Well, that's true. It's happening today. Isn't it funny how our culture has changed? But at nine years of age, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that I needed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Mom opened up that Bible because as a little boy, I started believing. Right then was a change and a turning point in my life. You say, Pastor, well, what does this have to do anything? I mean, really. Well, let me give you my last point. We're closing. Christ wants to show His provisions in any event of our life. He provided, yes, that which pertains to the flesh, the wine. He gave them just what they needed in their immediate circumstances. But you see, he will do the same thing for you. My God says what? He shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory, not mine. The key word in the verse is all. All of your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. A careful study of the word in the Greek reveals that the word really means all.
He will meet all you need. And second of all, he provided that which pertained to the faith. It says in verse 11, The beginning of miracles to Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. He, he provided that which pertained to faith. His disciples believed on him. Your faith in Jesus is never misplaced. If you display mustard seed faith in your hour of trial, Jesus will enter in to that need and will move your mountain. He will never fail his children. Oh, that's so easy for you to say. I believe it. I know that the circumstances Becky and I have been through, yes, I've put myself in some of them. I've made wrong choices. But I do know that in my hour of need, God is there. And He's there to show His grace and to forgive us. And then last, He provided that which pertained to the future. And I love this part of it. It said, He manifested His glory. Woo! I couldn't say glory because it was already in there. He manifested His glory. He revealed His Father to Everybody that was watching. And what happened? The scripture said that the disciples believed. Because you see, he was born to die for our sins. He went to a cruel cross for us. When you see Jesus come through your hour of crisis, it will do something for you. It will change your life and it will strengthen your faith and give you hope for tomorrow. What, what a great message from the Word of God. I always say, oh Lord, manifest yourself. Reveal yourself to me in ways, Lord, that I can't see with the earthly eye. But Lord, I don't want to just be a pastor who's for the paycheck. Lord, I want to be a pastor that honors you and Lord, that knows who you are. And Lord, I, I just want to be the pastor that has the passion so that people can see you in my life. Oh God, manifest yourself. Reveal yourself. Have you ever been somewhere, and the Lord just gave me this thought. You've been in a place And it's been difficult. And the Lord comes into your life and the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you and He says this. You see that, dear brother? I want you to walk over to Him and I want you to pray with Him. And you struggle to do that. Maybe God has said, you know what, there's this dear brother or dear sister that really needs to see me real in you. Why are, why are we so afraid? We're all in a place of our life where we're afraid of what somebody's going to say. What about if I don't use the right wording or say the right thing? Well, you, you learn today that even in worship, so words don't come up on a screen. We can stop because I'm not going to let Satan win the battle. We're going to continue to move on. I'm thankful for the way we get to worship. I'm thankful that today we have friends with us, guests that are with us, and our church family that's with us, and some that could be here today for sickness or whatever. But 
Do you come in here and you say, Oh God, reveal yourself to me today. Manifest yourself. Perform a miracle in my life. And I know that even in my life, I was standing one time. I was at Union Missionary as the youth pastor and minister of music there. And I was standing in the front row. And I remember God saying to me, the guy in the back row, he needs prayer. He needs to know Jesus Christ. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. What about if I walk back there? Well, first of all, what about if somebody's not in that back row? I mean, all these thoughts are going through my head. So I stood there and I did one of these numbers. You know, you all have been there too with the Holy Spirit. I looked over my shoulder. I just kind of scratched my neck like this and thought, okay, there's somebody back there. So then I, I said, okay. And the Lord says, well, you need to go talk to him. He's, he's going to hell. He doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, come on, Todd, get moving. I'm like, are you kidding me? What about if I go back there? And he says, no, I'm not moving out of my seat. I'm not going to pray. Are you crazy? Do you know I'll never forget it as long as I live? I moved out of my seat and I got right back to where Lisa's sitting. By the time I got there, halfway there, he made eye contact with me and I saw the tears starting to run out of his eyes. And I went back and he looked at me and I grabbed him by the hand and I said, Can I ask you an important question? If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? He looked at me. He said, no, but I've just been waiting for somebody to come and get me. That's what he said. And I said, well, can I walk with you? Can I pray with you? And so we just stood side by side. And I remember walking down the middle of the church, going to the altar as this young man accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? See, Mary wanted all of them to see who Jesus was. I want more than anything for this church to see who Jesus is. And I know that many of you have seen it. We don't have to be the chapel or faith family to see the power of God. If this church ran 30 people, he still wants to be real to 30 people as he does 3,000. He just wants a, a body of believers to believe. And this morning, if God has prompted your heart, listen, put aside what's going on around you. Maybe you've never came to an old-fashioned altar. And at this church, we always have an altar call. But maybe God wants to perform a miracle in your life. You've stopped believing. Maybe God wants to take and throw out that bitterness that you have. Maybe He wants to restore that peace and contentment in your life. Maybe you've been having some marital problems. Maybe you've been having some relationship problems. Maybe today is, ready? I know this is going to be hard, but maybe some mommy needs to grab a daughter. Maybe some daddy needs to grab a daughter or son and pray with them. Our children will never believe if they don't ever see. God isn't speaking to you by coincidence or by mistake. He loves you. And He loves every event of your life. He loves every part of your life. He is just not some remote, supernatural being who is totally removed from our needs. He cares about the smallest details of your life. And He waits for you to call Him into a time of need 
So he can do what? So that he can minister to you. This morning, I know he's come. And he wants to minister to you today. But what is it that you need? Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you have some burden in your life. Maybe a bad situation. Maybe some circumstances beyond your control. But not beyond your ability to worry over. Because Jesus wants to deliver you. Will you let him? Do as Mary did. Bring it to the Lord. Because he cares. And this morning, you bring it to Jesus. Because he cares. Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Do you really love the Lord with all your heart? And start listening to Him. Allow Him to reveal Himself to you. Believe and receive. That's what God wants in your life. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we are thankful for this wedding celebration. Father, we're thankful that, Lord, You are real and You manifest Yourself. You reveal Yourself. You show Yourself real. Father, forgive me for the times in my life that I haven't believed. And this morning, for those that You have spoke to, Lord Jesus, I pray that You will move within their life and within their spirit. There's someone in this room, Lord, that today needs delivered from something in their life, and I don't know what it is, but, Lord, I just feel it in my spirit. Maybe there's someone in this room that they want to pray with somebody else and never felt the courage to do that. May they move out of their seat. Lord, I love this song that says, Lord, I need you. Every hour, we need you. And this morning, we just pray that through this message, that we can start to see the miracles and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm not talking about a charismatic movement. Lord, all I'm just saying is that I would like you to be real in and through our lives. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, thank you that we can see through scriptures that, Lord, you started with miracles and you ended with miracles when Jesus Christ rose from the grave victorious and he ascended into heaven. Oh, God, forgive us for we fail in our faith. Lord, increase in our life as we decrease. And we'll praise you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.